You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of the Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record, a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner. This is Lecture 11, given in Berlin on the 10th of February, 1914. What I have been able to tell you of the Fifth Gospel helps us to get a different view of the arrangements made, as it were, in the whole universe, so that the mystery of Golgotha might come about. The mystery itself will bring our spiritual scientific study to a temporary conclusion. We have spoken of the two Jesus children who had to pave the way for the mystery of Golgotha. We saw that one of them, the Solomon child, had the capital I of Zarathustra in him and how this entered into the body of the other boy, the Nathan child from the house of David, when the two boys, who were of about the same age, had reached their twelfth year. Details have been given of the further destiny of Jesus of Nazareth, who bore the three outer bodies of the Nathan boy, and up to his thirtieth year, the Zarathustra I. Then I told you of the talk Jesus of Nazareth had with his mother, and how the power of his words, into which he put all of himself, in a way caused the Zarathustra I to leave his body. And we know that through the baptism by John in the Jordan, the Christ Spirit entered into the three bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. Far from reducing the significance of Christ Jesus in our eyes, this new aspect increases it. Greater understanding can be gained from it than from current ideas, and from what is told in the Gospels, insofar as we are able to understand them. The event, which together with the crucifixion and resurrection we call the mystery of Golgotha, was preceded by three others. It may be seen as a temporary conclusion to those three. One of them occurred very early in ancient Lemurian times, another near the beginning, and the third toward the end of the Atlantean age. Those first three events did not happen on the physical plane, but in worlds of spirit. We need to direct the inner eye, EYE, as it were, to four events, only the last of which, the mystery of Golgotha, took place on the physical plane. The other three were a kind of preparation for this in worlds of spirit. I told you that the Nathan Jesus showed his very special nature as soon as he was born, for he was immediately able to say a few words. Those words were in a strange tongue, however, so that people could not understand them. His mother did, however, have some idea of what they meant, being able to respond to them inwardly. We also have to realize that this Nathan Jesus child differed from other human beings, because they have lived many lives on earth. The Solomon child, who bore the Zarathustra eye, 
had lived on earth before. The Nathan child had until then lived only in the world of the Spirit. I referred to this in the past by saying that something was held back in the world of the Spirit when human souls entered into human incarnation from the time of ancient Lemuria. It was not guided to human incarnation until it was born as the Nathan Jesus child. We cannot call this a human eye in the usual sense, capital I, for a human eye proceeds from one incarnation on earth to the next. This entity went through its destiny in worlds of spirit. Only people connected with the ancient mysteries were able to observe what went on in those worlds and to know that this entity, one day to appear as the Nathan Jesus child, first had to go through certain destinies in those other worlds. To find out what those destinies were, we must first consider the following. Most of you will remember the lectures on anthroposophy I gave here some years ago when I spoke of the human senses. At the time I made it clear that the five senses we generally speak of are only part of the whole sphere of the senses and that human beings essentially have twelve senses. I won't go into this now. It is important to note, however, that the senses embedded in our physical body would have been condemned to a fate that would have had negative consequences for humanity if the first Christ event had not occurred, the first forerunner of the mystery of Golgotha, as it were. In Lemurian times, humans essentially had a basis for the senses when they incarnated. We also know that this was the age when Luciferic powers gained an influence on human evolution. This extended to every part of the human organization. If nothing else had happened, our senses would have become entirely different from the way they are today. We might say that they would have become hypersensitive. We would not be able to go around with our senses tempered, so to speak, but the impression made by the color red, for instance, would have caused a specific pain in the eye, EYE. Every sensory impression would cause its own kind of pain to the senses. The eye would have felt almost sucked dry by the color blue, for example. The same applies to the other senses. We would have had to go through the world with the senses painfully affected, or else they would have been gaining excessive and unwholesome enjoyment of the world. The senses would have been more powerfully affected by everything around us than is good for them. This would have happened under the Luciferic influence. Humanity was spared this by an event that did not happen on the physical earth, but may be seen as a first preparation for the mystery of Golgotha. In Lemurian times, the same Christ spirit who united with the body of Jesus of Nazareth at the baptism by John in the Jordan, united with an entity that was still in the world of the Spirit, the entity later born as the Nathan Jesus child, who was still in those other worlds at the time. Speaking of the event in Palestine, 
we are able to say that the Christ Spirit incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth. Speaking of that first Christ event, we have to say that the Christ Spirit entered into the soul sphere of an entity who later came down to earth as the Nathan Jesus. A soul endowed with spirit thus lived in the worlds of the spirit and in the act of uniting itself, that is, the Christ spirit uniting with the soul that was later to be the Nathan child, and in everything that followed from this, it took away the unwholesome aspect of the human senses. It shone on humanity from worlds of spirit, saving the human race from the misfortune of having to go through life on earth in such a painful, hypersensitive way. The first event, preparing for the mystery of Golgotha, took place for the sake of the human senses. It is because of this event that we are able to live the life of the senses we have today. The second event occurred in the early Atlantean age. Again, the entity who was later to be the Nathan Jesus was ensouled by the Christ Spirit. This averted another human disaster. The senses might have been normal thanks to the first Christ event, but under the Luciferic and later also the Aramonic influence, human nature would have been such that the seven vital organs, vascular organs in the physical body, which, however, are part of the etheric organization, I spoke of them in the lectures I referred to, would have been such that again we could not have known sympathy and antipathy the way we do now. Instead, people would have alternated between rabid greed and the most terrible revulsion in relation to everything they enjoy by way of nourishment with those seven organs. They would also have felt the same raging desire or profound disgust with regard to anything coming in touch with the respiratory organs. Thus the seven vital organs would have been excessively active under the influence of Lucifer and Araman. The second Christ event, which also happened in the other worlds, made it possible for the human vital organs to function in moderation, as it were. Our senses could never have considered the world in wisdom if the first Christ event had not come in Lemurian times and our vital organs would know no moderation if it had not been for the second Christ event in early Atlantean times. Humanity still faced a third disaster, which was connected with the astral body, the balance between thinking, feeling, and will activity. Today they are in relative balance, and if that balance is upset, a person's health is affected. If thinking, feeling, and will do not interact in the right way, the individual either turns into a hypochondriac or becomes mentally deranged. People might thus have fallen into madness if the third Christ event had not happened toward the end of the Atlantean age. The outcome of this, for the third time, the Nathan Jesus, who was still in the other world, was ensouled by the Christ, was the creation of an harmonious balance between the inner powers of man represented by thinking, feeling, and will activity. The three events all influenced the human being 
from the worlds of spirit. They did not take place on the physical plane. But memories of the third event in particular have survived in mythology. Spiritual insight will often enable us to gain real understanding of the signs given in myth and legend, so that we can see them at a deeper level. And this is also true of the sign for the third Christ event. We are all familiar with it, for it represents a spiritual entity, Saint Michael or Saint George, treading the dragon to death and overcoming it. Overcoming the dragon is to suppress the passionate aspect of nature that would throw our thinking, feeling and will activity into confusion. We can get a real feeling for the deep significance of such powerful images, which are set up, as it were, so that something the intellect is unable to grasp can be seen in a symbolic way and grasped at least in our feelings. In Greek antiquity, people still knew the shadow images of the real divine and spiritual entities who, in Atlantean times, had existed in the world immediately above the human world. We have spoken of this before. The ancient Greeks had definite awareness of the third Christ event, which we only know from images of St. George or St. Michael overcoming the dragon. To the Greeks, the Christ who ensouled the entity that would later be the Nathan child was the god Apollo. St. George and the dragon was seen within the cosmos in a deeply significant way by the Greeks. At the Castalian spring at Parnassus, a chasm opened in the ground with vapors rising from it. The vapors spread around the mountain like serpents, creating an image of the wild, stormy passions that throw human thinking, feeling, and will into confusion. Above the chasm, at the point where the python serpent dwelt, stood the oracle dedicated to the priestess Pythia. She would sit on a tripod above the chasm, and the rising vapors would put her in a trance-like state. Anything she said in that state was taken to come from Apollo himself. Anyone who needed advice would send someone to the Pythia for Apollo's counsel. To the Greeks, Apollo was a real entity. Today we know that this was the entity ensouled by the Christ, who later became the Nathan Jesus. He would remove the Luciferic and Aramonic influence from the knowledge that came to the Pythia from the earth. And when the Apollo sacrifice rose in those vapors, they would no longer cause confusion, but wisely bring order into thinking, feeling, and will, intent for the Greeks. Will intent for the Greeks. We can see that the Apollo idea of the Greeks was that the God had entered into human thinking, feeling, and will intent. This was the God whom we later called the Christ, the God who sacrificed himself, entering into the soul which would later be the Nathan child and bringing harmony into the confusion wrought in human thinking, feeling and will under the influence of Lucifer and Araman. Three Christ events occurring in higher worlds prepared the way for the mystery of Golgotha, 
we may ask what the significance of Golgotha itself was. What would have fallen into chaos if this event had not taken place? Well, we know that in the fourth post-Atlantean period, during Greco-Latin times, humanity became sufficiently mature to develop the eye. The region of Western Asia, Southern and Central Europe was the part of the Western world first to reach such maturity. The eye was meant to develop specifically in the encounter between Romanic and Germanic peoples in Central and Southern Europe. The eye was thus intended to develop in the fourth post-Atlantean age. The development would have lacked order, however. The senses would have developed in a way that lacked order in Lemurian times, if it had not been for the first Christ event. The seven vital organs would have developed in the wrong way, if it had not been for the second Christ event in early Atlantean times. The three inner activities, thinking, feeling, and will intent, would have fallen into confusion if the third Christ event had not come at the end of the Atlantean age. And the eye would have developed in chaotic fashion if it had not been for the fourth Christ event in Greco-Latin times, the mystery of Golgotha. For humanity had gained self-awareness, an eye, during the fourth post-Atlantean age as has been said before. A different revelation was initially given for human beings who were not yet meant to reach that level. The characteristic difference between the Buddha and the Christ revelations is that the Buddha addressed himself to people who were not yet meant to gain awareness of the self, of an eye that went through successive incarnations. We have to see this if we are to get the right understanding of Buddhism. I have frequently referred to an analogy used in later Buddhism which says that a true Buddhist sees the principle which goes from incarnation to incarnation as a mango fruit planted in the ground which produces a new tree which in turn produces a new fruit. All the new mango has in common with the old is the name and the shape. Characteristically, Buddhists would not speak of a real I that continued through different incarnations. They did not do so because in the East a real I did not come to full awareness. We can still see today that when people who base themselves on the teachings of the East want to understand the Western point of view, they cannot penetrate to the point where the I comes into play. The I was to be born among the peoples of the fourth post-Atlantean era. It would, however, have been chaotic. We can see this from a significant phenomenon arising in that era. Greek philosophy significantly represented the birth of the I, but side by side with it the oracles arose. Sibyls were women whose inner life was not harmonized by Apollo, like the inner life of the Pythia. They let their revelations take effect in a chaos of thinking, feeling, and will. Sibylline revelations were made from the 8th century B.C. until the Middle Ages. They would often contain aspects of sublime truths, but in chaotic form, with all kinds of strange bits and pieces mixed in.
Here we can see the confusion that would have come with the birth of self-awareness under the influence of Lucifer and Araman. As chaotic as the twelve senses would have been in Lemurian times, the seven vital organs in early and the three soul organs in the late Atlantean times, if the first three Christ events had not happened. In post-Atlantean times, the I would have been in chaos if it had not been for the mystery of Golgotha. We thus see the mystery of Golgotha descending in stages from the heights of spirit, where it occurred as the first Christ event in Lemurian times, until it reached the physical plane in the mystery of Golgotha. This may serve to indicate the whole significance of this unique event in earth evolution, showing that it was well prepared in advance from the higher worlds. The connection with the sublime sun spirit, which we have emphasized on a number of occasions, is also apparent in the Greek Apollo idea, for Apollo was the sun god. I have only given a brief outline of elements that contribute to a full explanation of the mystery of Golgotha. We could go into detail and show the whole tremendous cosmic greatness of the mystery of Golgotha. You have seen how this mystery may be approached by considering the cosmos. It can also be approached in another way, which is more or less as follows. Let us assume someone goes into the world of the spirit, which may be through the gate of death or through initiation. Let us say he enters that world through the gate of death. First of all, the human being lays aside the physical body, which is like an outermost garment. The physical body is handed over to the earth elements. Let us assume that after going through the gate of death, the individual looks back to see the fate of that physical body, which is given over to the earth elements, either through decay or by being cremated. What the individual would see would be a natural event like any other natural event, with moral concepts having as little relevance as they would for the development of cloud formations, the lightning that flashes from one cloud to another, and so on. The dissolution of the physical body must be regarded as a natural event. We also know that the individual remains connected with the ether body for some days and that its separation from the astral body and ego is a second process of separation. Looking back to the ether body, once it has separated, the individual would realize that the processes are different than those that happen after separation of the physical body. We certainly cannot say that what happens to the ether body when we look at it from the world of the spirit after death is a natural event. Far from it, for when the ether body reveals its particular nature, we find that all the attitudes we had up to our death are woven into it. If our sentiments have been good and kind, this will show in the ether body, and so will any malicious and evil intentions. You will see and feel the whole range of good and bad feelings and sentiments. All this will come to expression. The whole of our inner approach is reflected in the ether body. We see it there, 
and it dissolves in a complicated way in the etheric world, being absorbed by it. Looking back at the fate of our etheric body, we really see a reflection of what we have been during life on earth. Seeing all this, we may also say to ourselves, quote, If you had good feelings, dedicating yourself to the worlds of spirit in one way or another, you have given something to the general ether cosmos that will have a good influence. If you had bad feelings and sentiments and did not want to consider anything you were told about the higher worlds, you have given the ether cosmos something that wreaks havoc in the etheric world. Close quote. It is part of the destiny of the soul, that is, the astral body and I, thus to see what we ourselves have done to the fate of the ether body, which can no longer be changed once it has separated from the physical body. It is, in fact, the main thing we see after death. In the physical world we see clouds, hills, and so on. After death we see, like a backdrop, everything we ourselves put into the ether body by our inner moods and attitudes. This grows larger and larger as the ether body dissolves, becoming like the firmament which provides the background for everything else. It is part of our fate after death to see the fate of the etheric body. Something else also emerges and that is that the dissolving ether body really has two qualities. One is connected with something which really always tends to sadden and depress us after death. We can see most clearly what this is connected with if we give some brief thought to the fate of the physical earth. Physicists are already aware of this fate. They are quite right in saying that the earth, as a physical entity, will one day be subject to heat death. The relationship of heat to the other physical forces on earth is such that a time will come, physicists have already established this, when everything will have assumed the same even temperature. Then nothing more will be able to happen in the physical sphere on earth. The whole earth will be subject to heat death. Materialists, who are consistent in their beliefs, will of course have to accept that this heat death will mean the end of everything, including human civilization, thinking, aims and goals, and that the whole of human life must vanish in the even heat. Anyone able to see the situation as the science of the spirit presents it will know that this heat death signif- what this heat death signifies. It signifies that the physical earth will fall away from its spiritual aspect, like a corpse, just as the physical human corpse drops away from the part of the human being that goes through the gate of death. At death the human corpse is left behind, while the elements of soul and spirit go through an intermediate state between death and rebirth, with the human being going from one state to another. When the earth stage of earth evolution comes to an end through heat death, the spiritual aspect of the earth will go on to the Jupiter existence, which will be a new embodiment of everything connected with the earth by way of the spirit. Looking back to the ether body after death, we have a particular feeling toward it, 
which makes us aware that some of the qualities of the ether body are connected with everything in the earth realm that will be subject to heat death and dissolution. The forces which are actively involved in taking the earth to its heat death are present in our ether body, but there are other forces as well. Other forces in the ether body relate to all earthly things like the vegetable matter surrounding the embryo from which a new plant will arise. Some forces in the ether body have to work for the earth only for as long as it exists, until it dies its heat death. But there are also young forces which are connected with the germinal qualities the earth holds within the cosmos, elements capable of germination that will be taken on to the earth's next incarnation. We can only see the germinal part of the ether body, and here we touch on another important secret in occult science. Once we have gained a certain relationship to the Christ spirit, the Christ impulse, for this part is filled with the Christ powers that poured into the spiritual earth atmosphere through the mystery of Golgotha. For the Christ powers will take the germinal element on to Jupiter, including everything in man that has germinal power. This then enables us to see our connection with the Christ impulse and the germinal element in the ether body that will go on into the future. If we are able to see this, we know with certainty that an element of which we have often spoken has truly flowed into the earth's sphere from the mystery of Golgotha, and that this has something to do with new life being given to the whole spiritual aspect of the earth, an aspect in which we human beings are embedded. One experience human beings with true ego consciousness must have, and people in the West have it today, is that when they see the ether body after death, they do not fail to see that it is filled with the Christ impulse. For life after death is pitiful if we cannot see that the ether body is filled with the Christ impulse. It is because of this that I have always said that the Christ did in fact come to earth, and that even those who today resist the Christ impulse, at least on the surface of their minds, will gradually gain access to it, though perhaps one or two incarnations later than the population of the Western world. It is a blessing for man to be certain of the Christ impulse when beholding his ether body after death. It is hard to see only the part of the ether body after death which must, in a way, go with the earth to its death. For the people of Western civilization who have definite self-awareness, the people of the East do not yet have it so clearly, and who have been born with us, which is already the case in the West, it is certainly a most unhappy state to see only the forces which are destructive in terms of earth evolution in the ether body, being unable to see the Christ impulse, which is part of the substance of the ether body. It is as if one had to live under the continuous impression of an earthquake or volcanic eruption after death, 
being unable to see the young germinal forces of the Christ impulse. What are those young germinal forces of the Christ impulse? There is one aspect of them which I have mentioned on many occasions. We have spoken of the role which the blood played in the physical body of Christ Jesus. Being a physical substance, the blood ordinarily dissolves with the rest of the body after death. That was not the case, however, with the blood of Christ Jesus, or at least the part of it which flowed from his wounds. This part of the blood was etherized. It was truly taken up into the ether forces of the earth, so that the blood that flowed from those wounds became ether substance. This glistens and shines in the ether body, showing itself in such a way, after death, that one feels this is new, germinating life. It makes the human being viable and takes him into the future. Elements also enter into the ether body from another direction, and we can see from this too that it is full of young, vigorous life. One of the great impressions to be gained from the fifth gospel, when one is able to see what it is able to give, is that when the body of Christ Jesus had been laid in the tomb, something happened which ultimately made it possible for the scene to be exactly as the Gospel of John tells us so beautifully. The tomb was empty and the linen cloths lay in it. That is a true description. It was like that because an earthquake had come in waves, creating a fissure in the ground. The body of Christ Jesus dropped into the fissure, which then closed over it and the waves and shocks actually tossed the linen cloths around so that they came to lie as the Gospel of John tells us. This is the tremendous impression, touching the hearts deeply, to be gained when one learns of these things through the fifth Gospel and then finds them confirmed in John's Gospel. Something else thus also entered into the ether body. The body taken up by the fissure penetrated the ether substance, shining and glistening in the blood within the ether body, making it visible. The feeling one has after death is as follows, therefore. I told you that the ether body expands after death, and we see it as a kind of firmament forming a backdrop to everything else. The body of Christ Jesus, drained of blood and taken up into the earth, is like the ground substance of this spreading ether body. It is seen as giving new life to the vast tableau of the ether body. Seeing this, we gain certainty that humanity will not perish, but continue to live on as the spiritual content of the earth when the physical part of it drops away, just as the physical body of an individual human being drops away from the spiritual aspect. The eye and the astral body certainly guarantee human freedom and immortality. But the individual human being would live on entirely by himself. He would arrive on Jupiter and not fit into Jupiter's life if it were not for the fact that the Christ impulse entered into the earth's sphere, an achievement that will be taken on to Jupiter. We may say that if human beings were not embedded in a fully Christianized earth sphere, they would have gained little beyond what they already had in Lemurian times by the time they arrive on Jupiter, 
they would be impoverished, and the impression would be that life on earth had been fruitless. This state of poverty would be a pitiful thing to be faced by human beings between death and rebirth. On the other hand, when we behold the spiritual aspect of the earth as it has become thanks to the Christ impulse, the soul experiences bliss in the life between death and rebirth, knowing that all inner experience gained after the mystery of Golgotha has come from the Christ impulse entering into the spiritual atmosphere of the earth. The end of Lecture 11